0: This is chapter 20, and as you do, I want to share a little story with you all from my life. Uh, as a young boy, and I, I guess kind of as a grown man, uh, I, I don't enjoy going shopping, and, and, but when, as a young man, I, can't, I wasn't able to be left alone uh, you know, at home by myself, so my mother did the brave thing of, of, of packing me up, getting everything together, and taking me to the, the store with her, and we headed off to, to J.C. JCPenney. Now, uh, I, I couldn't tell you what it was she was buying that day, and, and, and actually, to be honest with you, for the sake of this story, it really doesn't matter what she was buying that day because the story's not about what she purchased, uh, the story is about what I stole, right? What, why are we surprised? Uh, standing at the, the checkout kiosk at JCPenney, I, I can remember standing there, You mean, they were kind of like these independent little kiosks in the middle of the store, uh, and, and while my mom and the employee were kind of busy, kind of, uh, you know, going through the process of her purchasing her items, uh, I saw this white box, this small little white box, you know, those boxes they used to package up the jewelry in, in, in the store, and for whatever reason, I just reached out, grabbed it, and stuck it in my pocket. And, and, and it really, nothing much of it came until we got in the car, and, and as, we, as I climb in the car, I pull it out of my pocket, my mom sees what I've done, and she <laughs> turns me around, walks me back in the store, makes me hand it back to the, the employee, and apologize for what I've done. Now, I don't, I don't think this came up in the interview process when I came to, to serve as your pastor here, but... <laughs> I'll say it now, I'm a thief, right? This is what the Eighth Commandment boils down to. And it's it's what we're talking about. Taking what isn't ours to take, right? Now, if you remember from our study of the Ten Commandments, God cares about our worship. He cares about not just the posture of our heart, but but the desires toward which our heart lean and, and, and pursue. God cares that our souls find rest in him alone for 24 consecutive hours every six days. God cares that we're a people that honor our mothers and our fathers. God cares that people shaped in his image don't go around killing one another or, or taking the life of others innocent, uh, innocently. And, and God cares that we would be faithful to one another in our marriages and in our relationship with God. And today, though, we're going to look at this, this eighth commandment, the, the eighth commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. And here we learn that God cares about how we handle the ownership of the things that he has provided for us. Let me read for us the Eighth Commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. Not a lot to translate here, not a lot to deal with, but you shall not steal. Let me, let me pause here, give thanks for God's word, and then we'll continue on. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word because it is a gift. It is what you have, uh, your very own effort to to speak and to reveal yourself to your people, to your creation. And so, Lord, we don't take this time lightly. We pray that your spirit would convict us where we need conviction, that it would enlighten our hearts where we need to be, uh, where we need understanding, where it would challenge us and call us forth in faith, where we are, are are kind of laying back and, and not practicing the faith which you have given to us. Help us to be a people of faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, you may think that it's silly that I share a story about stealing a cardboard box that was empty, right? But, but I want us to understand as we look at the Eighth Commandment, as, as, we, as we look at God's word here, thou shall not steal, I want us to understand that it's not uh, the, the definition of stealing isn't determined by varying degrees of what we stole. In other words, within view of God's kingdom, it doesn't matter if I were to steal a million dollars or a $1 cardboard box, right? In God's eyes, taking anything of value or size that, that, that doesn't belong to us and without permission, matters. It it, it matters to God most of all because he cares about the formation of the hearts of his children, right? And and part of that formation is trusting and understanding a God to provide all that we truly want and need. I'm sorry, not want. the, the, The things we truly need, right? Do I trust God will provide what I truly need? Or am I looking to go about taking things into my own hands and taking what isn't mine and without permission. God cares about that heart in us, the heart of trust and trusting his providence. Does that make sense to us? I mean, just, just as with the, the sixth and the seventh commandments before, before there's a sin that's even committed, God cares about the posture and the intentions of our heart toward that sin. When, when Jesus says in the New Testament, you have heard it said numerous times, by the way, but specifically in, in reference to murder, he said, you have heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother is liable to the same judgment. He's making the point that uh, the that, that, that keeping or breaking the law is not just a matter of our actions. It's a matter of our heart and our will that's behind those actions. And so here's, here's the bad news. As we think about that, as we, as we sit with that and we see these 10 commandments, this kind of structure of a law that God has for his people and we think, okay, I could probably do some of those. Here's the bad news. You can't do any of them, right? I, and there's a, there's a principle of our hearts behind God's law that, that we're not able to live up to and be faithful to these laws. I, I, on our best days, we don't even land in the ballpark of living up to the standards for God's kingdom through our obedience to these laws. So I'm not trying to beat up on us, but, but none of us should feel comfortable with where we, where we stand in light of God's law this morning. Okay, but now here's the good news, right? here 's why, as we study god 's law together, as we study these ten commandments here 's why I think we need to still pursue them with hope and, and, and cling to them with the idea that this is god 's desire and His ideal for His people. The good news is that though none of us are able to live up to the standards of the law with Jesus and trusting in His work and his righteousness we 're made to be righteous right we 're allowed to be we 're we're designated by God to be in right standing with him. It's like we see us approaching these 10 commandments or the law of God and we see all the places where we've failed to live up to it. But because of our trust in Christ and his work on our behalf, when God looks at us, he sees what Jesus has done in faithfully fulfilling the law to perfection. And so the good news for us is though we may feel incapable of living out these commandments, such as thou shalt not steal. But in reality, we're able to because because Christ has been faithful. Because Jesus was faithful, we are able to, to actually pursue these and live in these laws. They're not impossible. They're possible because of Christ at work in us. And even if we have those days where we realize we have fallen short of the standard of God, guess what? Here's the other part of the good news that our Bibles teach us, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins because of our trust in Jesus to go ahead of us. And so when it comes to this, to his law and and the life God has for his children— He's not just trying to measure us up to how, how good can they obey me and, 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 and follow through on the actions of our lives. He cares about the condition of our heart, the formation of what's going on inside of us. And so, yes, he cares about our outward lives, but, but, but I think it's too easy for us to be so focused on getting our outward lives looking good. And, and we so simply neglect that inner life that God cares so deeply about. And so it is with the eighth commandment. The Eighth Commandment is not just about the actions we take or whether or not we get caught stealing. The Eighth Commandment is about what's going on within our hearts, whether we actually take something that belongs to us or not. Right? It matters not whether I stole a million dollars or a one-dollar cardboard box. What matters is that I have a heart that reflects God's own heart toward the things in my life and the lives of the people around me, and and that it respects how God has distributed the gifts and the resources and the treasures of this world. We respect the boundaries of this world that God has established. The things God gave to that person are good and appropriate because God provided for them what he desired to provide for them, and the things that God provided for me within the boundaries of my life are good because God determined that these were the things that he would want to entrust to me. And so stealing is really a matter of not trusting God to provide our needs and instead being driven by our desire for other things. And to reach beyond what we've been given and to take from others what does not belong to us. Do you see the principle of trust in this stealing it's being driven by this desire to say what God has given me is not enough, and so I've got to go out and take from someone else what doesn't belong to me because that's going to truly satisfy my soul. At the heart of the issue is not just failing to trust God's providential care, but it's giving space to to, to a temptation and a greed for more. And, And it's a belief that you can find what your soul truly longs for in a place where God isn't, right? So at work in the, the heart of someone who steals is a belief that you need more or or that you deserve more. At work in the heart of someone who steals is a belief that that happiness and, and contentment is really just around the corner. If if they just could, if we could just get to the to the next thing or just get a little bit more, right? And it's a, it's a broken way of looking at this world. It's a broken way of looking at our lives. And it all begins in the garden when the serpent was talking to Eve, right? When, when, tempt, when Satan was tempting Eve to disobey God, to take, from the, 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 take some fruit from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when he's tempting her to, to go against what God's law was for Adam and Eve... After Eve had already asserted to the serpent that God gave her instructions not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, well, then Satan tries to convince her that God's withholding something that's good from her. Satan tries to plant a seed of doubt in her mind that says, hey, you know, I know what God's given you. I know you can look around you and see all that God's given you, but man, don't you just wonder what God is withholding from you, like, that's going to make you happier, going to be more satisfying for you. It'll it'll complete what's incomplete in you. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 to 6 with me. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And just like that, just like that, mankind chose not to trust God, not to trust his provision. Instead, look what she does. She trusts, what is it, uh, like right towards the end, it says, uh, she she realized or she saw that the tree was to be desired. She gave an audience to a desire within her that was not from God; rather, it was from the serpent who plants in her this idea that this fruit is something to be desired because it's, but but it's something that God is withholding from her. See, when we find ourselves tempted to steal something that isn't ours, I. I feel like it seems appropriate to me that it's a time for us to ask ourselves, what do we really believe is true about God? When we're, when we're tempted, when we're discontent with the things that God has provided in our lives and we're tempted to, to, to look at the lives of the people around us and say, I want that, I need that. or or to think that I need to steal to get my security because I'm feeling very scared and anxious in the, the, the circumstances I'm in, in those places, it's appropriate in the life of faith to pause, to slow down and say, what do I truly believe is true about God? Do we really believe that just as God clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air, so he will clothe and feed his children? Do we really believe that? Do do we really believe that our Heavenly Father is a better giver of good gifts to his children than we are to our own? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God will provide rescue and deliverance when we need it most? not when we want it, right? There are places in our lives that, we would, <clears throat> that we'd rather not walk through. But when God calls us to walk through those places, do we really believe that he will lead us and guide us through those places? Do we really believe that God knows what he's doing when he entrusts to us the things we have and knows what will truly satisfy our souls? Do we we truly believe the psalmist when he writes in Psalm 107, verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things? Or, Or Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Do we believe these things? See, there is is a, a spiritual battle going on in our lives. And the Eighth Commandment is one of those places where our God recognizes that this battle will go on in the lives of his children. And it's not just there so that God says, makes it simple and says, okay, just don't steal. Don't desire what's not yours. Don't, 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 don't desire to, to be in a different place. God is revealing something about himself in this eighth commandment, that we can trust him, that we can believe these things about God are real and true. And that in the circumstances of our lives, when we experience that temptation, when we experience uh, that kind of awareness of that greed within us, it's not a place where God just desires to heap more guilt and shame on you. It's a reason to hit the pause button in your life and to ask yourself, what do I truly believe is real and true about God? Do you believe that God satisfies your soul with good and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. If this is true, and you're you're dealing with that temptation to want what God has not given you, then I would encourage you to hit the pause button, but then resist the devil. Resist the devil and, and hear the promise of God's word, which says when we resist the devil, he will flee. Resist his lies that you need or deserve more or better. Believe that there's no greater place to be in than in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in that relationship with Jesus, by faith, we're encouraged to day by day come to him in prayer, to pray in a way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But this prayer is not just the, 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 you have to pray these exact words. It's a model of prayer where we learn dependence, faithful dependence on God day by day, right? It, it's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in the New Testament. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Many of us who have, who have lived in the kind of the area of the church have heard this prayer before, right? It, it, it's one of those prayers that, that children are taught to pray in Sunday school. It's something that we, we pray from time to time in our time of worship together. But, but more than just knowing the words that Jesus teaches us to pray, it's to, to understand the intention behind this prayer. See, Jesus teaches us to live day by day, to, to depend on him day by day, receiving everything from the Father. Right? This is a prayer where, we, where we're saying, God, I'm, I'm going to wake up in the morning, and the focus of my heart is going to be receiving from your hand not looking at the world around me and thinking, how can I get what they have, right? To, to not give space to the, the temptation to take what is, what is not ours, right? See, God commands us not to steal because when we steal, our hearts betray our trust in God, the one who, who provides. By the way, you know, that's his name, you know, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. You look at the history of the people of God, and and, and throughout history, God provides for his people, and they come to know the character of God, the, the character that's described in the name of God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. He does it in the people, in his people from the past, and he'll do it in the people, the lives of the people in the present. And he'll do it in the lives of his people to come, the people who look to him day by day to provide for him. So stealing contradicts the very character of God that he desires to form in us, a a life of dependence on him. And maybe here in Fairfield County, like that's kind of a struggle for us because we have so much. Right, we, there's, there's so much at our fingertips. So, and, and I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about opportunities and, and, and provisions. There's lots of things that we have that it's easy to, to neglect realizing is a provision by God in our lives. But God desires us to know him as the one who provides. And when we give space to that temptation to steal, to take what is not ours without permission, we are allowing something other than the character of God to be formed in us. So if stealing is, is taking something that doesn't belong to us without permission, well then the eighth commandment is about learning to trust God as a wise provider. Trusting that the things I currently have are what I should have, right? It's saying, God, you know what I, what I have, what I should have, what I need, and I'm going to trust that the things you have given me are the things that I need. And the things you will yet give me will be the things that I need. But it's also trusting that the things I need, God will provide without me having to go and take it from someone without permission, right? And there are a number of things that, that, that we might steal that, that, I, that I do think are oftentimes overlooked. We can steal people's time, right? Right? We we could steal we could steal their time when we've been when, when when we are being given money for a service we provide for them but we'd rather play solitaire or minesweeper or 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 crazy birds or whatever, angry birds whatever it's called rather than do the work that we're being offered to them. we are stealing not just their money we're stealing their time a the time they've paid for right. So it's not just about stealing money or materials. It could also be time. We could steal people's ideas. Right? When, when we proclaim an idea that is not ours to begin with, we could steal their ideas. Now, there are some places where we might quote their ideas with their permission. That's not stealing. But when we present it as our ideas because then it will, it will make people think, I'm smarter, I'm wiser, I'm someone to be trusted, that's stealing. That's stealing. We could steal their ideas. We could, you know, in our Bibles, Cain stole Abel's life. He was jealous of how God looked at Abel's gift that he offered him. And so what does Cain do? He kills his brother. He steals his life. Jacob stole his older brother's birthright. How? By stealing trust from his father and deceiving him, right? When you kidnap someone, you're stealing another person's freedom. Sexual abuse is stealing the innocence of another. Plagiarism, I kind of mentioned, is is stealing another person's work and passing it off as your own. You know what we could do? We could steal someone's reputation by falsely smearing their name with lies. Gossip is another form of stealing. And in each of these situations, there's a greed or a jealousy or a dissatisfaction flowing through the heart of the person who's tempted to steal. You get that? I think that there is, there's a greed and a dissatisfaction and a jealousy at work, more at work in our lives than we realize. But it's going to take slowing down, stopping what we're doing, the, hitting the pause button on life and really thinking about these things to notice it. And So, not only is greed and jealousy and dissatisfaction working in the hearts of, the, of, of us as we're tempted to steal, but there's also a lack of belief that God will be, or that, that, we, that we'll be satisfied in God alone. Right? We, 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 we fail to trust that in God alone our, our satisfaction rests. In my mind, David's prayer in Psalm 62 Verses five to seven is much more than a prayer for rescue in times of trouble. It's a prayer that, 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 that characterizes his desire, his, his heart, which, that, that, he, that he would remain steadfast and not tempted to, be, to reach beyond what God has provided for him. Listen to what he says in verses five to seven. David prays, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. <clears throat> On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. See, this prayer is a it's a prayer of dependence. It, it, it's a prayer where we can acknowledge. Where, where we can combat that temptation for greed or, 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 or to steal what's not ours. Because it's a prayer that grounds us in the reality and the truth that our hope rests in God alone. Our soul needs to rest, not scramble to take what's not ours, but to rest in what God has provided and what God has not yet provided, to rest and wait upon his provision again. It's, it's, a, it's claiming the truth that in God alone rests my glory and my salvation. Right? My, the, 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 the future of my life The the purpose of my life, the outcome of my life rests on God alone. No amount of toil and work and and striving and clawing in this world will accomplish the glory in my life that God alone can accomplish. And when we pray this prayer, it becomes a prayer that combats that, that, that hunger and that greed and that temptation toward jealousy and stealing that is at work within our sinful hearts. God is your glory. The the next thing that Satan wants you to believe, that, that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is not your glory. Satan wants you to believe it is, but it's not your glory. It will not satisfy your soul. And so resist the lies of Satan. Recognize that they're lies. Even if you have to pause in that moment and say, this is a lie that I'm listening to right now. I don't need to take what's not mine. I don't have to take without permission. God, If if it's something I truly need, God will provide. So resist the lies of Satan that you have reason to be discontent in Christ. Wait on God. Hope in him. Depend upon him because he is your salvation and your glory. So if greed and jealousy and discontentment lie at the heart of your temptations to steal, maybe the best way that we can combat the temptation is to focus not on what we don't have, but to focus on what we do have. Right, I mean, what do they say? Idle hands make the devil's work or whatever. I mean, a heart that's focused on what we don't have cultivates a life that's focused on, on some, some fairy tale, some false life. It's not true. It's not real. We need to, to, to invest the energy and, and, and our minds on what we do have, on what God has entrusted to us. One of my favorite authors and theologians is J.I. Packer. And in one of his books, he makes the point that as, as believers in God's word... The things that, that human law says we own, right, ownership, are actually things entrusted to us by God. Right? You, you think of the, the things that you've paid for, you've signed contracts for, you, you, you know, you've, you've got certificates that say you own this. Spiritually speaking, and in, in the view of God's kingdom, you don't own anything. These are all things that have been entrusted to you by God. In other words, God has given us gifts and abilities and opportunities and resources that we do have for a reason and for a purpose. The skills we've learned, the homes we live in, the influence we hold are all things entrusted to us by God. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read of a parable that Jesus taught his disciples about stewardship. Stewardship. And it's a very informative parable as we think about how we should live in these times before, between when Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave, and ascended to heaven, and when Christ will return again and usher in the final pieces of his new kingdom. Right? The question is, do we spend our time focusing on what we don't have in that time? Or do we focus on what we can do with the things we do have in that time? Do we see the life we live now, a a time where we gather and build glory for ourselves? Or do we see it as a time where God has given us a purpose and a mission and the resources to accomplish that and work at that purpose until Christ returns? In, In the parable, Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, there's a lot that we can glean from the story, and I'm not going to cover it all for us. But but what I want us to see is that we have a master who's entrusted to us our property? No, his property. As the master goes away, he has given us his property. And and, and, and each of the servants who received a talent from the master, as as the parable goes on to teach, each servant who received a, a um, a talent did something productive with it. Well, two of them did something productive with it. And those two, the master, when he returns, sees them as good and faithful, right? He declares them good and faithful. See, I I want us to see that, that, that we too have been given talents by the owner of the land, the king of our kingdom, of his kingdom. And, and, and as recipients of those talents, we can either do something with them or we can bury them in the ground until he comes to return. Now, I know we didn't come here to do math, but I want to do a little, a little math word problem this morning. Just to use, use, using this parable as an example. The master leaves three servants, a total of, of eight talents, right? Five to the first two to the second, one to the, the third. So five plus two plus one equals eight talents, right? Now let's say for the sake of argument that the servants spend their time between when the master went away and when he returns, fighting amongst themselves and stealing talents back and forth between each other. They're focused on the talents that the other servants have. They want those talents, and so they start taking what isn't theirs without permission. When the master returns... The, the, the first servant didn't fare so well, and, and he lost two of his talents, and so he's down to three. Started with five, lost two, he's down to three. The second servant did well enough and gained one of those two talents, so now he's up to three, right? He starts off with, with two, gained one, now he's up to three talents, and, and the third, third servant, similarly, he, he was able to, to do enough uh, clawing and fighting and, and gain one of those two talents as well, so now he's up to two. So now we got, let's see if when the, ta- the, the master returns, uh, if we can do this math right. The master's hoping that his, his faithful, good and faithful servants have done something productive with the talents that they've been entrusted. we got uh, the first servant has three talents, plus the, the, the three talents the second servant has, plus the, the two talents the third servant has means the servants offer back the master the eight talents that he left them when he took off, right? See, because the servants were focused not on the talents they did have and using them productively and fruitfully, the the servants are focused on what they don't have, and so they spend their time seeking to steal and, and rob and take what's not theirs. And they end up not being fruitful in the work that's been entrusted to them. But let's look again at, at Jesus' parable that he tells, because our, our, word, our math word problem is not scripture. It's not like the story that Jesus told, right? Because in Matthew 25, the first steward, or the first servant stewards his five talents with his abilities, and after doing some trading, he makes a reward of five more talents. He's up to 10 talents already, Right? The second servant took his talents, took his two talents, and doubled what he was entrusted to as well. He's up to four talents. And the third talent, or third, sorry, servant, out of fear, didn't do anything fruitful, buries it in the ground. And uh, what happens with him is a story for another day. The point is, when the two faithful and able servants focus on what they did have, they multiplied what had been entrusted to them to steward the master's kingdom grew, right? The first servant now had 10 talents plus the four talents from the second servant. And even if we tack in the third, uh, the third servant's one talent, we're up to 15 servants, right? That's, that's a pretty big return on investment for the master to have gleaned. Gleaned, sorry. And So Trinity, as children of God and citizens of his kingdom, we too have been entrusted to be fruitful and faithful in the things we have. But if our hearts are focused on what we do not have, we are neglecting to steward the talents that God has given us. And it's not, so these, these, these things, uh, fruitfulness for the kingdom of God will not happen if we give space to that temptation toward greed and jealousy and, and to steal, to take what is not ours without permission. See, God's commandment that his people should not steal is a commandment that's meant to cultivate our trust in God and his provision in our lives. It's a commandment that's meant to cultivate our trust that God will provide our daily bread and our every need. Our need for physical and spiritual and emotional and relational security and contentment. When I was a young man, I stole a cardboard jewelry box from J.C. Penney. And I can't even tell you why. Actually, I can. That in that moment, I believed that somehow and some way, that little box would make me happy. Right? But that day I began a journey in learning a very important lesson. On God rests my salvation and my glory. He alone satisfies my soul with good. He alone satisfies the hungry soul. That that if He can clothe the lilies of the field and feed the birds of the air, how much more so will He feed me, His child, whom He loves? So, brothers and sisters, don't steal. I know it's, it's an easy commandment to kind of gloss over and move on because, you know, in terms of physical needs, we don't need to steal or rob or take what's not ours without asking. But it's so much more than that. There's so many things we can be stealing. Trust God each day to provide your daily bread. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we um, Lord, we confess. We confess that uh, that temptation and jealousy and greed are all things that are at work in our hearts and minds. We confess that if if we were in Eve's place and heard Satan say that. that the things that Satan said to her to make her think that she needs the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of evil, we would would do the same thing Eve did. So Lord, we confess that we have broken the eighth commandment. Lord, we also thank you that your spirit ministers to our soul where we need to be ministered to. And that truth is that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness as we confess this sin before you. And so, Lord, I I pray that in this coming week, you would give us pause. Moments where we would hit the pause button on life and pay attention to what's at work within our soul where we would wonder, do I really believe that God is Jehovah Jireh, the the one who will provide, the Lord will provide. It's true, Lord, it's who you are. Help us to not just know that that's who you are, but to trust that that's who you are. To not give space to an anxious heart that desires to, 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 to seek and to strive beyond what you have provided and to take what's not ours, to create a, a, a satisfaction that, that you have not provided. Help us to trust in you, Lord, to trust in what you have provided, to focus on what you have entrusted to us and not have eyes and hearts that wander to the world around us, to compare our lives to those around us but to look at what you have done and what you have provided and what you are doing in our life and to agree with you, to say, amen, it is good. We want to work with you in that. We want to we come alongside and, and support and use fruitfully the talents that you've entrusted to us that we too might hear when you return, well done, good and faithful servant. We love you, Father. Empower us to be a people faithful to your law, And may your Holy Spirit form in us a heart that glorifies you, a life that glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.